0: If you will forgive an attempt at neologism, today is the dozenth day of 2024, and as I typed that word, there are no squiggly lines to indicate that I have made something up. Does this word already exist? That is definitely not the purpose of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a newsletter and podcast that exists to describe a little of what's happening. I'm Sean Tubbs, and I'm very careful to not make things up. On today's program, City Manager Sam Sanders names a Pennsylvania official as his deputy for administration. Two top officials in land use positions at the University of Virginia are now the chair and vice chair of the Albemarle Planning Commission. Nelson County supervisors take the first step towards lowering speeds on Route 151 in the Rockfish Valley. And Nelson supervisors also agree to a schedule change for EMS personnel that will also require hiring more people. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, Camp Albemarle has for over 60 years been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a Civilian Conservation Corps project that seeks to promote the importance of rural activities. Are you looking to escape and reconnect with nature? Consider holding an event where the natural beauty of the grounds will provide a venue to suit your needs. Visit their website to view the gallery and learn more. As promised at the first City Council meeting of the year, Charlottesville City Manager has named a third deputy to serve in city government. Sanders has selected Eden Ratliff as deputy city manager for administration. Ratliff will resign effective February 1st as the outgoing manager of the borough of Kennett Township, a small division of government in southeastern Pennsylvania. Sanders is quoted in a press release saying that he is excited to have Mr. Ratliff join the city manager's office and says that he will bring an energy and enthusiasm that will support the ongoing work to stabilize the organization. Kennett Township is within Chester County and has a 2020 census count of 8,289. The township's geographic area covers 15.6 square miles. This borough is not to be confused with the borough of Kennett Square, which is also in Chester County. According to the Chester County Press, Ratliff was hired in the summer of 2019 after a previous manager had been caught stealing $3.2 million dollars. He alluded to this in a statement the borough of Kennett Township sent out on Wednesday. In that statement, Ratliff is quoted as saying that the township entrusted him with the responsibility of stabilizing the Kennett Township government and professionalizing services that are provided to the community. Ratliff has also previously served as manager of the borough of Greencastle in Franklin County, Pennsylvania, and the manager of the borough of Ford City, also in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. The incoming deputy is a graduate of Indiana University of Pennsylvania with a Master of Arts in Employment and Labor Relations and an undergraduate degree in Political Science. He's currently working toward a Master of Arts in Public Management from Johns Hopkins University. There are a total of 2,560 municipalities in Pennsylvania, according to Wikipedia. In addition to counties, the other municipality types are townships, boroughs, cities, school districts, and exactly one town. Ratliff will join a Sanders administration that includes a total of three deputies, including Ashley Marshall, who now has the title of Deputy City Manager for Social Equity. Stephen Hicks is currently serving as Interim Deputy City Manager for Operations, and an announcement is expected next week on who will fill that position going forward. The new position that Ratliff will fill will oversee the city's budget finance, and human resources departments. He will begin work in early February. The first meeting of 2024 for the Albemarle Planning Commission was initially chaired by Michael Barnes, the county's new planning director. The first item on Tuesday was a resolution to allow Whitehall Commissioner Lonnie Murray to participate in the meeting remotely due to weather conditions. Hello, I would like to join remotely um, due to the circumstances of, of, of my road being flooded out. That requires a vote by the members present in Lane Auditorium. Jack Jewett Commissioner Julian Bivens asked a question of Murray first. For, for someone else who lives in the rural part of the county, is this what living in the country is like nowadays for those of us who live farther out into the, to the reaches of Albemarle County? Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, particularly those that are surrounded by rivers. Commissioners voted to allow Murray to participate remotely. No one took advantage of the public comment period, so the third item of business was to select a chair and vice chair for the year. Planning Director Michael Barnes called for nominations. Samuel Miller Commissioner Karen Firehawk nominated Scottsville District Commissioner Fred Missal as chair, seconded by At-Large Commissioner Louise Carrizana. The vote was unanimous. I appreciate everybody's confidence, and I really do respect this group incredibly, largely, a great deal. And so I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to work with everybody um, for another year at least. Missile's day job is as the director of design and development at the University of Virginia Foundation, the separate nonprofit organization that purchases real estate for UVA. Missal previously spent many years on the county's architectural review board before being named to the Planning Commission in early 2022. Unlike the Board of Supervisors, the Albemarle Planning Commission has a seventh at-large member that represents the entire county for a two-year term. In early 2022, the Associate Architect of the University of Virginia was named to serve in this position. Supervisors appointed Luis Carrizana to a second term at their organizational meeting on January 3rd. On January 9th, Bivens nominated the architect to the position of vice chair, and he was elected unanimously. The 1986 three party agreement between Charlottesville, Albemarle, and UVA calls for the state institution to name a non voting member to the local planning commissions. UVA's non-voting slot on Albemarle's Planning Commission has been vacant since Carrizana and Missal were named by the board to be voting members of the Planning Commission. Things are different in Charlottesville, where one of Carrizana's colleagues in the UVA Office of the Architect recently began his tenure as UVA's non-voting representative on the City Planning Commission. Michael Joy is also an associate university architect, and he introduced himself at the City Planning Commission meeting On Tuesday, So I'm a licensed architect in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and uh, I'm very honored and pleased to be here. Joy made his comments in the time period when commissioners provide updates to the public and each other about what committees they sit on. One of those groups is the Land Use and Environmental Planning Committee, which is a closed-door body that consists of staff and appointed officials from Charlottesville, Albemarle County, the University of Virginia, and the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority. The city's representative is now Rory Stolzenberg, who did not attend the December 15, 2023 meeting. Thanks to the posted minutes, we learn that UVA architect Alice Rocher is the chair of LUPEC in 2024. There were also presentations worth reviewing at that December fifteenth meeting. Albemarle and Charlottesville officials gave a presentation on the Resilient Together initiative to jointly work on adaptation to climate change and Albemarle's Chief of Environmental Services gave a presentation titled Flood Resilience Through Investments in Infrastructure. These were not public meetings, so any discussions are not a matter of public record. Let's go back to the Albemarle Planning Commission. After selecting a chair, the group went through the list of assignments to various county boards and commissions. Before you and your package, you've got 15 committees there. In his capacity at the UVA Foundation, Missile serves on the Land Use and Environmental Planning Committee. In the information before the Planning Commission, Bivens was also listed as a liaison to the UVA Master Planning Committee. I'm not quite sure where the University of Virginia Master Planning Committee, where it stands today. Um, it, it's I I just don't know. So until we have a sense of that, and maybe if the vice chair knows if there's has a sense of where that might be, I, but I don't believe it is met in a bit of, in a bit of time. Karazana said he would seek out more information about that master planning committee status. Bivens confirmed his continuing appointment to the land use and environmental planning committee. One item decided on Tuesday is who will be the liaison to the working group working on AC44, the county's comprehensive plan update. Carrizana had been serving in that capacity, but Murray will be the next representative. In the discussion, the Planning Commission and Barnes also noted that the Capital Improvement Oversight Committee has been disbanded. The Planning Commission would go on to get a presentation on the Broadway Blueprint, an economic development planning study. More on that in a future edition of the newsletter, as well as a return to the December 19th, 2023 meeting on AC44. The Nelson County Board of Supervisors has formally asked the Virginia Department of Transportation to take the first step toward reducing the speed limit on a portion of Route 151. They made a motion at their meeting on Tuesday. The conversation began when Central District Supervisor Ernie Reed said he had met with County Administrator Candy McGarry to discuss the idea of making the road safer. Uh, The county administrator and I have had some discussion about going forward on the procedure for looking into um, uh, reducing the speed limit and restricting through truck traffic along 151 in the Rockfish Valley. McGarry said the board could vote on a request to conduct the speed study, which would be the first step in reducing the posted speed limit. After some discussion, the four supervisors present voted to formally make that request. South District Supervisor Jessica Ligon said she wanted to request a speed study on U.S. 29 to reduce the speed limit from Lovingston south to Nelson County High School. It's a bit dangerous getting on 29, and we have a new business across the road from vetoes, Um, and a lot of people are making a U-turn off of North 29 onto South 29, and that is impressive. VDOT engineer Robert Brown asked if the board would like more information about access management options on U.S. 29 in the future. There was not a formal resolution, but supervisors had consensus to proceed. The Virginia Department of Transportation is also conducting a study of 14 miles along Route 151 in the Rockfish Valley. In November, VDOT released a 32-page report with potential improvements to address safety concerns. North District Supervisor Tommy Harvey was absent from the meeting. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, architectural firm Design Develop wants you to know about a new service aimed at the development community that may not be widely known just yet. This is 3D point cloud scanning. This is a technique that uses specialized equipment, such as 3D scanner systems, to gather a large amount of data points that represent the surface of the scanned object or scene. The applications of 3D point cloud scanning are extensive and cover various fields, including architecture, cultural heritage preservation, virtual reality, industrial design, manufacturing, and more. These applications require accurate 3D spatial information, and Design Develops Workflow provides precise and comprehensive results, all while being more cost-effective than traditional methods. Design-Develop has expertise in this workflow for their own needs and now has a dedicated team offering this service in the Charlottesville and Albemarle area. If you're involved in the real estate, design, or construction industry, feel free to contact them for more information or a free quote. Visit their website for an introductory video that captures the 3D point-cal scanning of the downtown transit center. There's a booklet that might explain more. Now back to the program and a second item from Nelson County. A focus area for Charlottesville community engagement this year will be the continuing reliance on paid personnel for emergency services by local governments. Last week, I wrote up a briefing that Albemarle Fire Rescue Chief Dan Eggleston gave to supervisors in mid-December that projected a need to hire several dozen firefighters and trained paramedics to meet a growing number of service calls. This week, the Nelson County Board of Supervisors were asked to consider additional funding for paid fire and rescue personnel, as well as a shift change to become effective on July 1st. Candy McGarry is the Nelson County Administrator. This item has come up um, just in conversation between myself, um, Chief Sheets, and also uh, John Atkins, our Emergency Services Director, um, just regarding the issues that uh, we're having in um, retaining and attracting um, specifically advanced life support and paramedic um, uh, EMS um, staff. Nelson County contracts with the Wintergreen Rescue Squad for paid emergency medical services. That's an arrangement that's been in place since 2006. Two crews of 24-7 coverage within the county. Those crews currently spend 24 hours on and then have 48 hours off. The proposal is to transition to a schedule of 24 hours on with 72 hours off. Everyone around us, um, Augusta, Amherst, Buckingham, and savannah have gone to this schedule and we are competing with uh, EMTs and paramedics um, with those agencies. Curtis Sheets is the chief of the Wintergreen Rescue Squad and he apologized to the board for coming to them outside of the budget cycle. He said he has lost half of his staff to other jurisdictions, and there are currently no qualified applicants. One of the things that changed about three years ago was when Buckingham County um, created their Department of Emergency Services. They chose a schedule model that was 24 hours on, 72 off, which was very, at that time, kind of unconventional. And I, for one, thought it would never never last. It couldn't be sustained too expensive. Um, and stuff around, and then more and more people started to pile on that schedule model. Chief Sheets said being able to advertise that this shift change would go into effect on July 1st could help to attract more qualified candidates. The schedule would add a fourth shift, and the anticipated payroll increase is estimated at $281,000 a year. McGarry said about half of the current budget is fueled through EMS recovery fees, which have not been updated since 2012. That prompted supervisors to ask if they could be increased to keep up with inflation. South District Supervisor Jessica Ligon is a veterinarian. The cost of goods in, in my office has gone up by at least two, 300% in the last two years. Yeah. EMS recovery fees are mostly paid by insurance companies and Medicaid. Supervisors voted 4-0 to zero to authorize the schedule change, with details on potential recovery costs to be worked out during the budget cycle. North District Supervisor Tommy Harvey was absent. The Wintergreen Rescue Squad asked for a loan of $100,000 to purchase a fifth ambulance for their fleet. The source is a county-run revolving loan fund for volunteer public safety companies. On our side of the grant program, we we consider these loans to be callable notes. So if an agency has some sort of a crisis while we owe this $100,000, what typically would happen is the leaders of the agencies come back together and say, hey, does anybody have the ability to make an extra payment this month? This other agency needs a little more. The ambulance in question is a 2022 Ford 450 that will cost $235,000. And that's the end of this particular podcast. It was postponed by one day for reasons that are important, but not important to the reader or listener. Most of you I know would just like to go on your business without knowing mine. However, if you do want to know what's going on with the production cycle, then please do look up my notes page on Substack. There's a link in the newsletter. This is the 624th edition of a newsletter that is distributed through Substack and paid for by readers and listeners who would like to keep it going. There are hundreds of you, and I'll keep holding up my end of the bargain as long as there's enough revenue coming in. And if more revenue comes in, I'll hire people. Now, a haiku. Keep this going. Ting matches first substack fee. Then all can read more! (laughs) Goodbye.